Welcome to the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Twee Couch we are counseling on recording with modelers. There is no denying the ease of use of a modeler when recording. Sure, there is an argument of simplicity when you put a mic in front of a speaker, hit record, and let it be what it is. But there are also downfalls of the analog situation too. Amps are bigger, have less options, more noise artifacts, and of course the elephant in the room, sheer loudness in order to get the tubes cooked and the speakers moving. Pedals have their issues too. Cables fail, powering issues, number of pedals, size of enclosure, and of course, buffering and impedance issues. But why is a modeler such a good option? Can you record more than one track? What is reamping? Does phase matter? Is phase really a math equation? How do you use modelers with an interface? Do you even need an interface? Can you fly with it? And IRs, are they a tone game changer? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Beth on the Tweed Couch. Well, Beth, thank you so much for being here on the couch to talk about something that I'm going to be honest, I'm not the best at, and that is understanding how to record with a modeler. So thank you, Beth, for being here for my therapy today. Yeah, well, I'm very excited to talk about this. This is kind of a new hobby, new passion, new, I don't know, I've just, I like it. And you know what? I'll be honest, I love you, Tijans, but you're just so attached to your like stomp boxes and all of your like analog stuff, and it's great. But uh, I'm very excited to share my passion for modelers. Yes, that's true. And for the people who want to understand what that means, if you didn't know, Beth actually plays in a band with my brother, Paul. And so when it comes to the technological side of things, I'm more there. I will say that. Yeah. Paul, he goes, you know, if it's not colorful and I can't hear the click of the switch, and if it doesn't have something with speakers... And if it wasn't something that really was invented before 1965, then I don't really want it. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for bringing him into the 20th century, 21st century. Yeah. Yes. And for all of you playing bingo, yes, we're talking about Paul. But (laughs) what I think is hilarious is Paul is so passionate about his tone that he won't even play through a, uh, a wireless rig because... He feels like there's tone in the cable. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't hear it. But, you know, he does. Maybe that's his superpowers. He maybe. hears those little things and, you know, whatever. It works for him. And you know what? I'll be honest. Whenever we're gigging, he's the one to get the tone compliments. So maybe there's something to it. I don't know. You know, and I do agree that there is tone in the cable. Tone loss. Yeah. Is really the way to put it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but seriously, there, there's it's a compromise. And of all things, I'm wireless. I'm super wireless. I'm yeah. the ultimate yeah. of wireless. I do everything wireless. How about you? Uh, yeah. The only time I don't go wireless is if I'm doing a, like a little small gig where I'm not going to be moving around. But anytime mm-hmm. we're doing any sort of extended playing, oh man, I go wire. Even at church, yeah. just being wireless, not having those cables to trip over is 
is amazing. So wireless. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way to go. I think the only time I'm ever wired is whenever I'm doing recording. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, occasionally I'll do something with the acoustic, but really, otherwise, I want to be wireless. So since we're talking about that, let's go ahead and get into this idea of recording with modelers. And to get an idea of that, I feel like we have to know where our foundation first started. So you do have amplifiers and you do have pedals, correct? I do. So what do you have that you actually use? Yeah. So I've got my AC-15. Um, and that's kind of okay. my go-to amp. You know, I like I like the tube tone versus the solid state. Yeah. I also have a little custom made. Uh, it was a wedding gift from Jeremy's friend Nate Rich, and he built this that's little. Awesome. Amp. We call it a Rich Tone. It's yeah. It's the bare bones. It's a speaker in a cabinet. It's got a little bit of tone. It does not even have reverb on it. It is just bare bones mm-hmm. little speaker, and uh, it's nice though. Because I do line them both up. My Helix has the stereo out, so I use the two amps side by side to be able to figure out what the stereo sounds like when I use those features. That's awesome. So that's what I've got for amps. For pedals, gosh, I haven't used an actual stomp box. I don't even know in how long. Yep. I've been using these modelers for a long, long time. But mm-hmm. I will say I started out with... I had a, my first one was, I think, a, a Boss. It's the yellow one. It's the uh, Overdrive. Oh, yeah, the SD1. Mm-hmm. Is it the SD1? Super Drive It's the little one, light. Right? Maybe that's what it's. It was an Overdrive pedal yep. as opposed to the orange distortion. I think I had the orange distortion pedal at some point. Yeah, the um, DS one, which is yep. the Kurt Cobain look. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, that's when I started playing was in the 90s. Yep. Yeah post nirvana after kurt cobain died so uh i picked okay. it was a couple years after that but still i i was into nirvana it was good yeah well and that that sd1 the super overdrive is really kind of like the tube screamer of the boss pedals right it's just a different clipping and that's really the main difference between it so it would make sense you being more of that bluesy type of player yeah it would make sense that you know you would have yeah. the yellow SD1. Yeah. Well, and then I also had the blue blues driver to go with it. Oh yeah. So which I prefer. Yeah. So those were kind of my beginnings. I along the way I picked up a couple Dan Electro pedals because you know they're super cheap and when you're in high school that's what you get. Oh yeah, the minis. Yeah. But then you know when when we did our captive free years, that's when I got my first modeler. It was like a Line Six Pod. Yeah. It was interesting. You know, it didn't sound good. It was okay. <laughs> But, and it was hard to like navigate and <laughs> you know the thing is is like people will will diss those early things but do you remember lincoln brewster yes yes so lincoln brewster he was a real well-known worship guitarist but even before then he played with steve perry yep back when he had left journey he needed a guitar player and here's lincoln brewster able to play along So you have to know that this man has serious chops, excellent tone, just simply because the man left Neil Sean and decided, okay, I'll get this 17-year-old to come play with me, and it was fine. Yeah. The guy had tone, but he played line six stuff, like the Uh pods, and then he would run them into Marshalls on stage, but what was going to the house was the pods. See, I didn't know that. It's crazy. Yeah, so yeah. the marshal gave him his stage tone. 
yeah. you know, give them some noise and feeling, but yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Everybody heard the rest, so yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, but wait, uh, there's more. There's more. So those were my younger days. <laughs> then. After I abandoned my pod because I I just I don't know it didn't okay in all fairness though I was playing that pod modeler through a PV solid state thing yes <laughs> so, a bandit one twelve or something yeah yep. trans tube what the ministry would send us on the road with because it was cheap that's exactly right yep because PVs so, are built like a tank so why not yeah, send them right. on the road oh yeah. man you're not gonna put a tube in a trailer and travel every day no so terrible yeah. idea. But then, you know, when I started playing with Paul, my arsenal became this. I had a, a Jekyll and Hyde, and I still okay. have that, and I really like it. It's really cool. It's actually, it's so I think when Jekyll and Hyde was being built, there were like three generations of it. Am I right? Was it three generations? Paul yeah, has there was like the, the original first one. Round. Yep. And that's what yeah. Paul has. I think I had And it the was like second. silver. They look like home plate. Mm-hmm. And then they went to the next iteration, which was still silver, but it had a few other markings all over it. Okay. And then they went to their last red. iteration of the home plate, which was red. Yeah. And then they went to a square pedal. So okay. technically, I guess there's like three iterations if you go with silver, red, and then square red. But yeah. then there's four if you count that the original ones looked a little different than the second version of anyway yeah go right on. yeah so i have the red one uh and i still okay. have it and i break it the out red every square now and then. or the red home plate the red home plate okay so it's nice. you know not as vintage as paul has but you know yeah it's what it is every bit is awesome yes yes i had a wah pedal and then i added a visual volume into my rig and then i had okay. a delay pedal and i think you built me a delay pedal yes so that lived on my board it was the kind of delay pedal where I had to like put a little stomp switch. I had to like put it into the, I had to add it into the the mix. So the stomp for the tap delay was a separate thing. Yep. I had a an EQ pedal. I'm trying to remember what else. It's it's been a little while, but I think that kind of rounds it out. And you know, I used that for a long time. We traveled with that. I had a pedal train, which now your brother has taken permanent possession of. Um, because yep. I, I don't need it. But that was my my rig. And what I found frustrating was that, you know, something wouldn't go right with it when the, my pedals were linking up or I, I a knob got turned and I wasn't ever quite sure where I had my settings. I wasn't good at taking pictures. And for me, just having to do all that setup every single time I never found that I was able to get consistency in my sound and in my settings. And that was kind of why I was like, you know what? I really want to go to this modeler. And what works for me with the modeler is that it's the same every time. Yeah. So for me, that that's kind of where I started with my pedals. And now this is kind of where I've landed with my modelers. Yeah. And, you know, for me, what it came down to was I needed the ease of use because, mm-hmm. well, number one, I love amplifiers. I love the feeling in the room. I love the sound in the area. But what I don't love is how heavy they are. And the fact mm-hmm. that most of the time people are telling you to turn down. It's like, yeah, yeah but yep. it sounds better right here. And they go, yeah, but not to everyone else. 
And right. I go, well, but the way I play is different based off of how I feel when I get my amp. So yep. anyway, all that to say that, so where my start ended up being was pedals. Because what I found was I needed something small, easy to use, something that I had all the tones at my fingertips. And I didn't have to go out and buy the next Tube Screamer. And I didn't have to go and buy a tube driver or a fuzz pedal. I don't like fuzz pedals. Sorry, world. Fuzz pedals just don't seem to work well for me. I agree. If I can't get it done with a couple of overdrives, like I'll stack an overdrive and people say, Oh, that's so fuzzy. And I go, yeah, but each one on their own is completely usable as opposed to a fuzz, which is Mm -hmm. not very usable all on its own for me. So having different things at my disposal was really, really nice. But then, and having more fly gigs, having church to play at and having to cart things from place to place and wanting it to just be more compact That's when, for me, it made sense to go to more of the modeler side of things. And it wasn't like an easy road, you know, because it wasn't always the best tones, as you mentioned before, with the uh, the kidney bean pod. (laughs) Yep. But at the same time, they've gotten better and better, like really, really good. And most people won't even notice a difference. The guitar player may notice a difference, which may change the way they play, but for the most part, It's not. So I'm unapologetic that I love drive pedals. And when I do pull out my modeler, it generally, if I have eight stomps to go with, three to five of them will just be a drive pedal. Yeah. Of some sort. Yep. (laughs) Because I, I love me some drive. So that's one thing. And I don't really notice a difference with the other drives when I'm playing through an amplifier. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm playing with the amp modelers, sometimes I notice a big difference and I find myself going in different areas trying to find different things. So I guess that brings us to kind of this question of if we've got all these modelers out there that are doing well, which modelers have you been using and what have been the main application for these modelers that you've been using? Yeah. Um, well, I've stuck with line six and the first modeler that I got was the HD 500, which is what Lincoln Brewster used. Oh, yeah. So I actually downloaded a couple of his little files and, you know, mm-hmm. I was able to capture a, kind of his tone. Uh, yeah. It was a good pedal and it served me really well in that, you know, I was able to get that consistent sound if I didn't have an amp was okay and I would use it without an amp when I had to. Yeah. When there was an amp available, I thought it sounded better through the amp than the modeler at that time. And then um that aged out and actually I it broke a it broke once uh and I got it repaired and then oh. it, it broke again like the the pedal like the little foot switch it was not working. Oh sure. And I think it was just years of like traveling like because I would throw it yeah. in a in a case or a suitcase and fly with it and it would get jostled and being in yep. its pedal train case you know I gave the pedal train to Paul and then put my HD 500 in the pedal train case so it worked yeah. it fit it was good but you know just years of travel and use it just kind of took its toll and and then um, when I started uh, leading worship consistently every week at this church I was at I knew I needed to upgrade and get a new thing. So I actually looked at the Helix 
and the uh, Pod Go here. Oh, sure. I ended up getting the Pod Go, and we talked about this when I was kind of going through the purchase. What what should I look for? And I landed yep. with the Pod Go. There's a couple different products out there that Line 6 has that are really good. And, you know, if you're only doing recording, there's some options for you. But for live music, the Pod Go and the Helix Floor are are the two main options that are like really high quality. And so for the price point, you know, we, we found the pod go for like 450 bucks or something like that at the time. And oh yeah, that suited my needs for a while. And it was so compact and easy to carry. And what I liked about it was the upgrades to the modelers, like the amps sounded so much better in the pod yeah. go than in the HD 500. Like they really came a long way Yep, and you can get you know impulse response uh, in there to really make it just good, and you can download files. There's you know oh yeah, tons of different like profile things oh, yeah. that you can get from like worship tutorials yep. or Tone Junkie or yeah, honestly anybody like everybody has some sort of a pack of yep. of like if you're a YouTuber or whatever, you'll find their pack and. You yeah. know, they're usually pretty good. Yep. Sometimes you'll get them and you'll be like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And that actually probably puts, if, if we're going to talk about any bit of advice in our journey of modelers, my number one advice is when somebody gets one of these, go ahead and try and make your own. Like start yep. from scratch, add an amp, add some pedals, add some different things. And see how it sounds. Yeah. And if it just is terrible, then take somebody else's pack and modify it to make it your own. Yeah. That would be a piece sure. of advice I'd have. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of how I started. And, and then I downloaded a couple of different files. And recently, though, I acquired a, a Helix. And I'm in love with my Helix now. Really? Does Jeremy know? Uh, I... this... Well, we... <laughs> it's come up a couple times. There's a little jealousy there, but uh Yeah. That's okay. The, um, you know what? Your helix can't grow a beard, so you'll be okay. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Not yet. We're working on it. <laughs> oh. And actually it, it reminded me we acquired this through uh kind of an estate sale. Um and actually yeah. I thought back to your to the one podcast that you had where you talked about like the ethics of estate sales and things like that and Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a friend of ours, and his brother had passed away and, and had a bunch of gear. And so yeah. we were lucky and blessed to be able to take that stuff and use it for the purpose that, you know, his family wanted. And, and so we use it in church and, and in ministry. And so that was kind of the intent there yeah. behind that acquisition. But it, it was just, it was too good of a deal to, to kind of turn down. And so it's been really awesome. And I've downloaded a couple files. The f- worship tutorials, like you said, has some really awesome freebies to get you started and I've been using just the free stuff right now and I kind of took that and what I really like about the modelers is you can you know get the edit program and put it on your computer and and just have at it and line things up you can line up a set list you can make little tweaks so I've just taken the files from worship tutorials and just kind of been tweaking them on my own as I go to make slightly different profiles for different songs and different uses yeah so it's it's really nice and versatile and the one thing that the helix has over the pod go is the ability to do something called a snapshot and so what i can do is i you know if i have two or three drive pedals i can have a setting where it changes the parameters on each pedal so i can have like a 
clean, a slightly dirty, a more dirty. I can have one with more reverb. I can have one where the uh, delay is a certain setting Mm -hmm. and I can have the delay fade out faster. I can have the delay just be a quick, you know, poppy delay. So you can change those parameters. And it's been really sweet because now I have like eight different settings and uh, eight different little snapshots of that setup with those pedals where just the parameters of the pedals. So I, it's awesome. Like I've really enjoyed messing around with it. And um, so the way that you prefer to use this then is more of in patches or snapshots as opposed to like a stomp box mode where (laughs) you basically have your amp and you just click on things as you want them or need them. I'll go back and forth between the snapshots and the stomp box because, you know, I can go to my clean snapshot and then if I go just real quick, there's one, it's one pedal switch and I'm back to my stomp boxes. If I want to turn the delay on or off, I can go back to stomp box mode and do that. Literally, it's just like one click to switch the modes. And so it's incredibly versatile. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that people will kind of look at and go, ah, well, that stinks because you're clicking one button to then click another button. So that's like double the work. But if you think about it, there are other things you can do with these snapshots and with these Mm -hmm. patches and, and everything that you might be able to click one button and turn on or off three or four things. Oh, yeah. Yep. As opposed to... You know, you've got your regular pedals and you go, okay, I need to click this off and I need to click on these other two pedals at the exact same time to give you my lead tone. Well, that would be three clicks and you can't do it instantaneously unless you have like a pedal switcher or something like that. Like one of those MIDI switchers, which a lot of times those MIDI switchers cost just as much as a modeler. So when I look at some of the modelers that I've had, I'm a bit of a modeler junkie. I mean, that's really the Mm -hmm. best way to put it. I've owned many of them. I can't say I've owned all of them. Currently, my main one is the Quad Cortex, which has been absolutely fantastic. And the secondary one I use is an HX Stomp. And that HX Stomp is much like the Helix. And do I notice a big difference in the tones? I do, but I feel like if I really hunkered down and worked with the HX Stomp, I could find something incredibly usable that would be really close to that quad cortex. That being said, I feel like for me and the way that I think and the way that I move things, the quad cortex is easier for me to get the tone I'm looking for out of it. Yeah. But when I go out and I play, so... When we talk about applications of things. So even though I would say that the quad cortex is my go-to for live and the occasional recording, if I'm going to use a modeler to do it, the HX stomp is the one that I'll take whenever I go do like a live bass gig. Or it's the thing that I'll bring out whenever I'm going to use an amplifier and then need a backup just in case. Because Mm -hmm. I like the HX stomp size and I will leave it on my pedal board to do delays and reverbs and tremolo and maybe a boost for a drive or something like that. So if something goes wrong with the amp, I've also got right there, I can just pull up an amp block, plug in direct and go, well, at least I have something. 
It's better yeah. than just electric guitar pedals into a DI straight to the board. Yeah. Which sounds wonderful also, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, these are the main things. And actually, when I go do Life Fest, I bring the HX stomp and then I play my bass through it. And nice. sometimes there's an amp that goes between it. And sometimes all it is is something that kind of fattens it up. I'll put like a, a little slapback delay, but it's just real light underneath. So it just makes the bass sound a little bit bigger. And sometimes yeah. I'll add an EQ or, or an increase of gain depending on what the board needs or something like that. But Do you put compression on your bass? You know, I thought about it, but I usually find that whenever I end up putting a compression on there, I generally just squash it too much. And, and sure, it's my fault. Sure. Like, I don't notice enough of a difference in a live aspect for it to matter. But at the same time, the type of bass that I play is a big old humbucker towards the neck. Right, right. So it's already big and woofy. Yeah. If I was playing a jazz bass, I might be more inclined to using the compression. Yeah. Now, sure. one of the things That's that cool. I will add is that the Helix is quite large. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas some of these others are a little bit smaller. But what you don't get with some of these smaller ones is the expression pedal. Mm -hmm. So when you do fly gigs, because you will fly and go play places, yeah. as well as drive and go play places, as well as toss it in the trailer to go to places or whatever. Yep. Do you find it's more difficult to fly with a larger pedal board like that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to find the answer out. Uh, here in a couple weeks <laughs> when we fly down to Wichita. <laughs> I actually haven't flown with the the Helix yet. Oh, that's right, because you just got it a couple months I ago. I just got it, yeah. So flying with the Pod Go is actually really easy. We have Pelican cases for all of our gear, and so mm -hmm. we just got some foam and carved out a spot for the Pod Go, and it just kind of, I layer it in. You know, my cables go underneath, then we got a layer of foam, then the pod go, then a layer of foam, yep. and it's it flies. You just check it, no worries. It flies safe. And so I'm still a little on the fence about how I'm going to get the Helix down to Wichita or if I'm just going to take the pod go. Um, so I'm still kind of figuring that part out. But in terms of like locally, the Helix has a backpack. And I got that for Christmas oh, from my dad nice. and it fits perfectly. It's got space for cables and all that stuff. So it will not fit under the seat in front of me on the airplane. Oh, okay. No chance. So it, it would, I think, count as my carry on. It's, it's carry on size. So I could carry it on and then just have a purse and put it in the compartment up above. Yeah. But I also then like to carry on my guitar. And, and so I don't know. We got to figure some things out. Because oftentimes I'll just wear a backpack and carry my acoustic guitar with me. And then the acoustic tends to fit nicely in most overhead compartments. Yep. We generally try to fly Delta. We're flying Southwest, which, you know, we get the free bags. With the winter weather, though, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous as we approach our... There, there's been a lot of... Uh, Anyway, we're just going to pray that everything goes <laughs> goes well. But so most of yeah. the planes, you know, like that those airlines fly, they're not the little puddle jumpers. So things will fit nicely in the overhead compartments. But in terms of like taking the Helix to church, the backpack is, oh, my gosh, it's the way to go. You just put yeah. it in the backpack and then, oh, it's so nice. You carry that and you got your guitar and then you got your coffee in your other hand. It's It's been really, yeah. it's been really nice to have that little backpack and it makes it easy to 
to transport it. But you're right. It is kind of a beast. You know, I got it thinking that, you know, I'm going to play it more at church. So back and forth oh, to yeah. church is not a problem. I got a couple of weeks to figure out what I'm going to take to Wichita. It might be the pod go that flies with me. Just sheer for size. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, I had a pod go for a little while and I liked the pod go. There was no yeah. real issues that I, I had with the pod go except for there wasn't enough ability for me to have five drive pedals on it. Yep. Yep. So it really made me pare down and go, okay, I guess I got to put two on there. And then I've yeah. got another block that has to be the EQ. Well, oh, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll use the EQ as my boost and I'll just go ahead and add a little bit of DB and I'll change the mid curve or the highs or drop something. Yeah. And oh yeah, this will work out great. And you know what? It worked out just fine. But yeah. what I really, really wanted was five drives. So yep. because of that, <laughs> it was time for it to go for me. Not that I it went very far. I felt comfortable enough with it that I sold it to someone else who I play in worship with. So it's not yeah. like one of those things where I went, oh, man, I got to unload this thing. And then when a friend asked me, I went, yeah, quick money. No, really what it was was I went, it's perfect for what you are asking for. It is mm -hmm. not for me. So here yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. And going from the HD 500, it was a step down in terms of the number of effects that I could have in line, it was a step up in the quality of effects. Because with, yes. the, with the Pod Go, you get basically four blocks. You, you get six, but one of them has to be an amp, and one of them has to be the EQ or reverb or something like that. Right. And it has to do with processing power. So there's yeah. only so much memory, only so much processing power. So really, you only get four effects. And even with the Helix... There's limitations in terms of what you put in line. And if you put too many things in line, it limits you because options start graying out like, oh, this you don't have enough processing power to put this in there with those other things. And so that is one limitation. But when you think about the fact that you still have hundreds of effects in there. Yeah. And what would each of those pedals cost you individually? Right. So it's a small price yep. to pay. OK, so this actually brings up probably one of the most important questions that can be asked and that is how do you reference the tones of the helix how do you mm. know what you are getting is something that is good because there have been multiple <laughs> times i've been playing with people who they bring in their pod go they bring in their helix they bring in their quad cortex they bring in their kemper whatever and then they start playing and i go mm -hmm. what is that horrendous yeah. sound that's coming out and they agree they're like this is not what i dialed in when i was at home it sounded like this and now i've plugged into the system and it sounds terrible what is yep. this what do you use whenever you're trying to reference your tones to make sure that when you go from place to place to place it's going to be relatively consistent with minor tweaks well so it's it's kind of one of those weird things when you have the amp modeler in line and then you also run it through the amp it colors it. Mm -hmm. So I play through basically two different modes when I'm kind of tweaking my pedal. And the the way I used to always do it was on my Pod Go, I would just turn the amp modeler off and then run it through my AC-15. And it was fine because every time I'd go to an event, there was an AC-15 there. I'd just run through the amp and actually yep. didn't use the modeler a ton unless I had to. But when I was like playing at church... 
I took the time. Having a wireless rig is really helpful. Yeah. You you just need to say, I need like 15 minutes here. And then you dial it in, you save it. That's your setting for that venue. And if you can start from there, that gives you a kind of a reference point. So most yeah. PAs, when you walk in, if, if you have somebody who knows what they're doing, that's that's a big thing. Yep. Most PAs should be similar in terms of like, if you can get it set up on one PA, you're going to be pretty close for the next PA. You're never going to be there every single time. You might ha- you're going to have to dial a little bit. But what I found is that if I go in onto the amp modeler, that's where I dial things in. I don't usually have to mess with my pedal EQs or anything like that because once those are in, like those will sound the same, like your drive, your delay, all that stuff. Okay. That's going to be relatively, like I, I don't really have to mess with that once I get them kind of figured out. It's the amp tone and the amp, you know, I mess with that and I dial that in. And so that, you know, takes a few minutes depending on the room. And here's where I get to share my Christmas present. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Who's this one from? Jeremy. Duh. Duh. (laughs) He ran out of guitars to buy me. So (laughs) he bought me a studio. But um, perfect we're, That's right. I, we're I can't of, buy you any more guitars how about how about i buy you a studio and then we'll just start outfitting the studio now <laughs> yep that's that's exactly what it is actually we ran out of wall space for guitars so you never oh, really okay. run out of guitars you run out of space for the guitars. so we have no right. more hooks on the wall and um yeah anyway <laughs> so for christmas and kind of one of the things that he kind of helped me build because it's been something I've been wanting is we started finding gear for the studio and we had been using like a big old soundboard in here to run into Pro Tools. And with that, you know, estate acquisition came this Focusrite Scarlet. And so it's just, it's eight channels, which is perfect for what I need to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then anytime I need to do more than this, I can just get out the big soundboard, but it just now lives in here. My children built me a little wooden, like, it's actually pretty impressive. It's got a little drawer and stuff. It's a little wooden rack for it. Nice. Like, it, it looks really, they did a really good job. So shout out cool. to uh, my son, Nathan, for building that and to Jer for uh, giving him the idea and the help. But uh, yeah, he built. they built it out of reclaimed hardwood and it looks really pretty and it's really highly functional. But I can run into that and then I've got some studio monitors, speakers, which... You know, one of the things you learn when you go to, you know, I I went to school for recording for just a little while before changing my mind to go back to being a teacher. But one of the things that I really learned in my time at Belmont was you have to understand that every speaker is going to sound a little bit different. It's going to have its own EQ profile and you want to listen to it in different places. And so one of the things I've done is, you know, in recording, I go back and forth between my headphones and my my speakers because I know my headphones run a little bit brighter. These speakers tend to be a, a little bit darker. And so as I'm kind of like tweaking things, I keep that in mind. And as I listen, you know, if I record something, I'll listen to it on these speakers, listen in, listen to it on the headphones, listen to it, you know, on my phone, through my earbuds, and I'll kind of get a sense for like, okay, these run a little bit dark, so don't make it too bright. And mm-hmm. as I adjust my tone, I can kind of go back and forth between my amps the speakers, the headphones, and get a pretty good sense for what it's going to sound like. And then when you get to the gig, there's always a little tweaking to be done. You can get pretty close and have a good place to start. So, 
Yeah, that is actually one of the things that I always recommend when people have these modelers. And actually, when people are doing recording and everything, is that get your reference, do what you need to do. So if you're one of those people that goes, okay, I'm going to play a modeler and I want to sit at my desk with studio monitors and I want to get the sound just right. Once you're done getting the sound just right, now plug in headphones. Yeah. Is it just right? And then if you have a PA speaker, you know, like for us, Mm -hmm. we have access to powered monitors or powered speakers. Go ahead and plug it into that. What does it sound like? And find something that you're happy with and then go back to the original source. And a lot of times what I find is when I've tried it with really nice headphones, when I've tried it with my in-ear monitors, when I've tried it with studio monitors, when I've tried it with the PA, it seems like you're being a little extra with it but at the same time what you find out is that in the end you actually end up with a better tone in general yeah for sure that's probably one of the best pieces of advice that can be given to anybody even with these like recording a modeler type of things yeah and too even if you're not you know recording or using a modeler you also have to understand that prolonged exposure to loud noise, your ears actually go into a protection mode where it starts to not respond to certain frequencies. You know, this is why it's really important if you're going to be doing gigs to get musicians earplugs that, you know, roll off some of those high frequencies. You talk to people who've been running sound for a long time, they lose their high frequencies and like they can't hear the little high pitched noises anymore. And it's because Mm -hmm. over time your ears to protect themselves, they go deaf for certain tones. And so even after, I forget what OSHA says for hours, but you shouldn't really do a studio session for more than so many hours because your ears just get used to the sound and then you don't hear the EQ correctly. And I can't tell you how many times I have thought that I got my pedal set up so beautifully. I'm like, oh, this sounds so good. I come back the next day and I'm like, this sounds so poopy. (laughs) Like, Yeah, like why would I do that? Right? Yeah. You know, if you're getting set up for the first time, like come back the next day and be okay yeah. that it doesn't sound the way you remember it because, yeah, your ears were going into that protection mode. And so take a break, come back, let your ears kind of reacclimate to silence. And yeah, it makes a difference. It really does. All right. Well, speaking of taking a break, let's go ahead. Let's take a break for the sponsors. And then when we come back, let's go ahead and finish things up and let's talk about exactly recording with a monitor what do you do to set it up how are you using it are there certain little things and tips and tricks with actually setting the thing up and doing it then we'll do some final thoughts sounds good let's take a break for our sponsor if you are looking for a way to help support the tweed couch and it costs no money to you then check out our youtube channel and become a subscriber also you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Here's another sponsor. Are you wanting to join a party with a purpose? If you love music and camping, then come to LifeFest in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Here's our last sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzman Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzman started a production of a solid body electric guitar for anyone student to expert. You can check them out at kretzmanguitars.com. All right, well, we're back, and let's talk a little bit about recording with a modeler. 
And I'll give one of my favorite things to do when it comes to recording with a modeler, and that is phase. Because a lot of times I'll be recording something, I'll go, oh, I want to try and do stereo. And I'll listen to it and I'll go, uh, that doesn't sound very good. And I don't know why it sounds so thin because I'll, I'll get on one side, you know, I'll be like, here's the left side. Okay. Well, that sounds good. And then I'll go on the right side and I'll go, okay, that sounds good. And then I'll run them both together and I'll go, why is it not sound as good? Yeah. And so a tip that I found is I will run one side and go, okay, that sounds good run the other side, go, okay, that sounds good. And then when I run them together, I will take one of those amps or one of those speakers or one of those whatever, and I'll mess with the phase and I will make it sound as thin and trashy and terrible as possible, like just unusable. And I'll find that sweet spot of the worst. And then I'll click the button that says flip phase huh, or flip polarity. And when I do, it is the biggest, thickest sounding thing I've ever heard. Well, I just learned something, Dr. T. So thank you. I've never tried that before. (laughs) It is crazy because at first I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got to find it and I got to mix it and I got to find it myself. And what I found is if you actually make it work the worst way possible and then go, okay, it cannot get any worse. I'm going to flip one of them. Now, all of a sudden, it stopped canceling everything out. You found a way to stop the cancellation. Oh, it's well, great. it's math actually. So let me just push my glasses up yeah. a little bit, hike my suspenders. But <laughs> this is my wheelhouse. <laughs> I'm ready. Can we talk? Can we talk Perfect. about calculus? I mean, you know, yeah, no? no. Okay. Is that the <laughs> a writing a right angle view to trig? <laughs> yeah. Why not? That'd no. be the opposite of therapy, right? Like, oh, let's talk about calculus yeah, today. That's right. Oh no. Yeah, this isn't therapy. This is anxiety. <laughs> hey, but you know what? It, it would cause people to come back the next week because they'd need, you know, that double dose from, oh, from my great. appearance here. <laughs> Let's cause issues instead. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so what do you have? What are some things that you love to do while you're trying to record with your modeler? So to piggyback onto your phase shifting. So it does have to do with like the sound waves. So if you think about like uh, when you have, for those of you out there who don't know what we're talking about with phase, when you have a sound wave, think of it like the waves of an ocean. And if you have dips, peaks, and valleys, and what Sven's talking about is he is lining up a peak with a valley, and when you do that, they actually cancel each other out. And so when you add two waves together that way, the peak and the valley cancel each other out, and it sounds very thin. And so this will happen if you're Mm -hmm. ever in a live situation and you walk down the middle of a room, usually the middle aisle, you'll find little pockets uh, where it sounds very thin, and that's where those sound waves are coming together to be canceled out. And a good sound engineer will, if you, there's ways to get around it. Um, There's actually classes you can take at school called the physics of sound. And I've taken this class. (laughs) I really liked it. Can you tell that this, I'm very excited and passionate about the math behind music. (laughs) Anyway, moving along. So when you flip that phase shift, like he's talking about, you're taking one of those valleys and you're basically flipping it upside down. And now you have two mountains and it makes this big, loud, full sound. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about there. But for me, what I've done when I record stereo is for the same reason, you know, when you put those two stereo waves together, 
you can kind of do this whole hard panning. And if you hard pan right and left, you avoid that issue of having the two sound waves come together. So I will often, I won't completely hard pan, but I'll pan it like 80% right and left. And then what you'll do is on just one of them, it doesn't matter which one, you put a very small time delay. And so I have learned that that creates this stereo field and the way that your brain interprets those sounds it just makes it sound fuller. And and I don't know if you're using, if you use Pro Tools, I know there's lots of different things out there, but I use Pro Tools. And if you're a student or an educator, you can actually get a discount and you can get a subscription to Pro Tools. I think I pay like a hundred bucks a year for access to Pro Tools as, a, as an educator. And so I know students and educators get those discounts. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be doing a lot of recording, Pro Tools is definitely, you know, the industry standard here. But that's kind of what I do when I have a stereo field. And then with my modeler, I've been actually playing around in Pro Tools and creating loops. You can loop in Pro Tools. And then um, I actually recorded a song over break. Like I wrote it and recorded it. And it turned out pretty darn good. I'll have to send it to you. Yeah. It needs a little bit of mixing. I'm, I'm in the mixing stage where, you know, some of the... Some of the sounds like the EQ and the levels here and there, you know, you got to listen to it in different places because it sounds like we said earlier, it sounds different on different speakers, different headphones. And so I'm in that stage of taking Mm -hmm. a break and then coming back to it. So it's a very rough mix, but uh, I'll have to send it to you. But yeah. So in terms of like running the Helix in, so I use a Focusrite Scarlet. You can run the Mm -hmm. Helix or the Pod Go or whatever modeler you have. And it just plugs in. I just do a quarter inch in. The Helix also has uh, XLRs, microphone cables out, so you could do that depending on what cables you have lying around, but I usually just use the quarter inch. And then the Focusrite Scarlet, it's just a mic preamp, and you need a mic preamp to be able to record. And what it does is it boosts that signal into Pro Tools. And so when you go through the Focusrite Scarlet, it's got, you know, the little gain knobs. You can set the gain so that in Pro Tools, so you're not clipping and, you know, red is bad in general when you look at your level meters for those of you who are, yeah, that's right. you know, thinking about getting into this. Um, but it's my favorite part about this Scarlet. There's a little, you have to download a little bit of a driver. But aside from that, man, it just integrates so smoothly with Pro Tools where before I was using a Behringer X32 board and the settings that I had to go through on that to try to get it to like go in here. And, you know, you know, there are ways to make it too, so that you have flying, what we call flying faders. And so when you change a fader Mm -hmm. in pro tools, it changes the fader on the board and that's all fancy and schmancy, but it was just so cumbersome trying to like, uh, I got what got changed and, Oh, I got to be on this setting. And and then we'd use it for a live menu, menu. Oh my gosh. It was click, click, click. This is so Mm -hmm. nice because it's literally just set the gain on the scarlet, come to pro tools and then just use all the plugins that come with pro tools. And it's, Oh man, I got to tell you, it is just a breath of fresh air having this set up. Yeah. And it's been super awesome. (laughs) So (laughs) have you ever tried just doing the USB straight in from the board? From the Helix? Yeah, from the Helix. So the Helix straight into the computer. Have you ever tried that? So I actually do that when I, uh, without Pro Tools, and it it runs through the computer, and then the computer runs through the Scarlet, and then it comes out of my speakers. Okay. I do run it directly into the computer via USB when I am trying to get my, like, 
my profile set up in the in the line six okay, edit. using the editor yep, and stuff like yep. that so in terms of like running it directly into pro tools via usb i have not done that i don't know if that's a possibility because the way that pro tools is set up it needs like a playback engine i had everything plugged into my computer when i was getting set up to chat with you and Pro Tools did not like the Helix being plugged into the USB. So I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably not an option, that you're going to need probably some sort of um, Scarlet. Although if the Scarlet's out of the picture, maybe I would need to just remove the Scarlet from that line and I, it would work. But with both of them doesn't work. But I haven't tried just the Helix via USB. So one of the cool things that I know that the Helix does do, which is pretty awesome, is you can do reamping. So when I look at like a good recording technique, like reamping is is a thing. So back in the day, what the way that people did it was basically you plugged your guitar directly into a DI box, and then through the line out, you'd go to your amplifier, mic up the amplifier, do all that. But you would go ahead and also plug it into the mm-hmm. board. And so the board would record through one track, the direct guitar signal, and then it would also be recording through however many tracks you're running, all the mics that are going to the amp. And so if you ever wanted to get a different sound using the exact same guitar track, you would just then run it into an amplifier and ta-da, you are now reamping that track and doing something else. Well, the Helix has something that's really cool where you can run... I don't know, say one and two into Pro Tools or Logic. I use Logic and play the song, do what you want to do, get the tone that you want and everything. But in a separate track, if you route that for output seven and eight of the Helix, output seven and eight is always direct DI, Hmm. always. So because you're just using a USB, you just choose what you want to do with the track so let's say track one you have input one two and that is whatever tone you came up with with the helix and then make track two seven eight and that is that direct di it's going to just record them both at the same time and then later when you want to do reamping the cool thing is is you can then route that second track that was all di that was that direct out from the helix you can route it back into the Helix. Just set the input of the Helix instead of it being your guitar. Mm-hmm. It's USB. Huh. And then the output can go to wherever you want the output on the board. And you can play around with how you want that Helix to sound and do all these different things and have a completely different track hmm. made with that. So like Helix reamping is actually one of the more brilliant things that they have. Yeah, I have not tried now, that Now that yet. said... That's part of the reason why I like using modelers into a recording software because I can play something just into the recording software and then I can run it back through it. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like auditioning. Yeah. It's kind of like running a looper pedal into your pedal board and into your amp. And then you just keep the looper going and you just start messing with all of the different pedals trying to get things in from something that you've already played. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. And it's brilliant. I love it. So I'm going to just write that on my little to-do list today, um, right after laundry <laughs> and, you know, food prep for the week. Mess around. Yeah. Okay. With I will find re-amp. a video 
and I will send you a video of somebody that probably is going to explain it better than I just did. Yeah. But I, actually, I'm pretty sure that I remember seeing like Peter Thorne mm-hmm. doing something like that with his stuff. And and the thing with Pete Thorne is he's brilliant. He's the one that used to play with like Melissa Etheridge. And, yeah, yeah. Well, he's played with tons of people, and I mean he's brilliant. Anyway, I'll I'll look for it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Well, I know like Corey Wong will run his stuff through. Yeah. He actually has plugins for Pro Tools for his tone and everything. And mm-hmm. yeah, have you ever messed with IRs? Yeah, well, from Worship Tutorial. So, like I said, I've only had the Helix. I don't know. I can't. I so I took it home in September, right when school was starting, and I said, "Can I mess around with it for you know a little bit, and then we'll buy, and then we'll decide if we want to buy it." So it just sat here mm-hmm. and I didn't touch it. <laughs> right. Because school started and when are you going to have the time? Yeah. So the end of October, I was like, all right, let me try it out. I tried it out. Loved it. I've played it a couple times since. And then really, I, really Christmas time is when I had a lot of time on my hands and I sat down. So I, I've only yeah. been really like getting into using it. But yeah. So yeah, when I downloaded the worship tutorial stuff, um, it came with a couple IRs for some of the cabinets that... Uh, they had built in and I notice a little bit um I notice it sounds a little bit more alive if that makes sense okay because when you download it the package one of them has the IR one of them does not and then there's another Mm -hmm. one that I don't know they've got a couple different variants of each profile right and I've messed around a little bit with putting those IRs in I've never done it on the pod go just because I just didn't but I, I would say that the IRs kind of saved the pod go for me some. Mm-hmm. But I also know that since then, Helix has done a redo of many of the amps and mm-hmm. many of the cabs. And now all of a sudden you can mess with mic placement better and you can move it around more. Yep. And there's even like little things like reflect that is something that's a part of the helix, which gives you more of that room sound. And you've got things like sag where you can get more of that forgiveness yep. in there, less digital quality. So I'm willing to bet that if I were to revisit doing like the line six amps and that kind of stuff, I might find it closer to the quad cortex now. But then again, I also already own the quad cortex. So what's the use of yeah. <laughs> messing with it? <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... There's a lot of different parts to this. Yeah. Well, I know that there are tons of other things that we could probably talk about. And maybe what we need to do is we need to come back and revisit this, you know, wait like six months and go, here's all the new things we found. Or here's all the new things, ways that we use it. I mean, even like you can do live streams with this thing where you're running one channel for mic and another one for guitar. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can do all sorts of things. So how about we, we shelve that? We go ahead and go into some final thoughts. So what final thoughts do you have? I would say if you love tone and you're going for like a stomp box and you are in love with your stomp boxes, I think that's wonderful. But if you are kind of like me and your mindset is I want something easy that's going to be consistent, it's going to be the same every time, it has versatility, I want access to every single type of pedal or stomp box that's out there, then maybe, you know, Think about getting a modeler. You know, you've got lots of options out there. And I would say to the aspiring guitar player, don't be afraid to try the digital effects. Don't be afraid to try the modelers. They really have come a long way. Like I said, my first Line 6 pod was, it kind of sounded like poo. 
but they really have come a long <laughs> way. And, you know, having stage managed at festivals, Helix and Kemper are your top of the line modelers. And mm-hmm. almost every band that came across my stage wanted a stereo out for a Kemper. That seemed to be the favorite there. But Kemper and Helix are probably, I don't know, tit for tat in terms of like what they can do. Yeah. And they're, they're pretty comparable. But, you know, it's becoming more and more the thing. And especially if you're going to be in an environment with, you know, you need low stage noise, mm-hmm. the modeler, don't turn your nose up at it. Give it a try. It's got a lot of versatility. Yeah. It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of money up front. But when you look at your pedal board and you think about how much you've spent on all your pedals over a lifetime, to me, it's worth it. And I really enjoy it. I think there's value in both perspectives. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to stick with my modeler. Yeah. In my final thoughts, I look at it and I go, there are a lot of professional musicians that use these things. Tom Bukovac mm-hmm. has an M9 on his pedal board. And he's a guy who is like, I need my vintage gear. I need my vintage amps. And then you look at his pedal board and there sits a Line 6 M9. Yeah. You know, so even the professionals are using these things. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at it, I don't need to feel ashamed for doing it. I think there's a lot of things that you can get out of it. I think that it is a lot of tone at your fingertips. I think it can get rid of some gas, you know, that gear acquisition syndrome that I've got to have this pedal and then this pedal and then this pedal. And in all, I would say that it's a great bang for buck, a great tone for buck that you can get out of it. And just the fact that some of these things like the helix or the hx stomp or even the kemper there's a lot of them out there yeah so if they get lost stolen damaged you can replace it relatively quickly and those are things that are all really great to have uh, the ability to be able to do so i don't think you should fear it i think it is okay to use it and if not anything else it's a great tool to hone in on your ears and even a practice tool that's just really easy to plug into a computer and get something going really quick. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, with all that said, thanks, Beth, for being a part of this. Yeah. I needed this therapy. Yeah, me too. It was fun. You know what? I have a request, though. Oh, yeah? What's that? Well, maybe you should put it to a vote. We'll see how the vote turns out. Can can we do a podcast where we talk about the math of music? There's no one who will vote for that except no for one? you and your son, Nathan. Oh. But <laughs> no. All right. You know what? Let's work it up. Actually, I'm just kidding. Do. I'm just kidding. I don't know that I want to prepare that lesson, but I thought it would be. I think a- that's going to have to be. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's going to have to be like a video, not anything. I need oh, yeah. visual aids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's when you take the podcast and you go live on YouTube, right? So we'll, I'll get my yeah, little whiteboard probably. out, you know, from distance learning, yeah. you know, and we'll. Yeah. That's right. It'll be perfect. All right. Well, thanks for being a part of it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So thanks for having me back. All right. Until next time. Yep. Bye. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in a review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time. <laughs>